0: Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician and holistic adult and child psychiatrist. In this episode, I'll be talking about compulsive caregiving, overfunctioning, codependency. Other terms have been used, include nice guy syndrome, good girl syndrome, people pleaser. So if you don't identify with one of these labels, you likely know someone who does. As with all labels, they don't completely define us. Those of us who may have these patterns are not the same, nor have the same traits, nor struggle to the same extent. Still, there is a psychologic constitution that has been repeatedly recognized in the mental health field and culture. You won't find it included as a condition or personality disorder in the DSM or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, basically the main text that's used in psychiatry for diagnosis. This may be because it is so common, or maybe because those who write such manuals, which include academic psychiatrists, have a blind spot. These tendencies that I'll describe are common in those of us who work in caring professions. Diagnosis or not, this way of being in the world can be painful, stress-inducing, and thus illness-promoting, and at the very least can keep us from enjoying the full potential of our lives. So let's get started on 10 thoughts related to what I'm going to refer to as compulsive caregiving and codependency, and I'll just be using these uh, definitions interchangeably. But to start off, number one... With definitions, from attachment theory, we have the term compulsive caregiving. And this is basically an attachment pattern in which the person emphasizes the importance of giving care in relationships rather than receiving it. The earliest manifestation of this is is the parentified child. So this comes out of the work of John Bowlby, a psychologist and pioneer in attachment theory. From the world of family therapy, we have the term over-functioners. These are individuals who take on the responsibilities, emotions, well-being, and needs of those around us, around them, whether others want them to or not, often a way of managing anxiety or insecurities. Over-functioners are typically responsible, reliable, competent, and care for those around them. They're usually good leaders, problem solvers, and high achievers. So this comes from a website that's referencing the work of Murray Bowen, who was a psychiatrist and pioneer in family therapy. That website was called My Wellbeing. So from the 12-step world, we have the term codependency. This is described differently in different places, but it's basically the concept of losing oneself in the name of helping another. To quote Melody Beatty, who wrote Codependent No More, A codependent person is one who has let another person's behavior affect him or her and who is obsessed with controlling the other person's behavior. Related terms you might hear are people pleaser, nice guy syndrome. There's also another that describes good girl syndrome. Generally, these overlap and share common characteristics, so that's why I'm discussing them all together. So number two... Nurture. Our repeated experiences shape us. They reinforce our neuronal pathways in such a way that they become our default. As adults, we can have the repeated experiences of caring for others, often at the expense of ourselves. This can be through our work, in a caregiving profession, it can be through parenting or caregiving for an elderly parent. Even with its rewards, this caregiving identity can lead to our forgetting that we are separate people with our own needs, feelings, and wishes. For many, however, the biggest influence appears to be early life experiences. From our start, we are wired for connection with others. As children, we learn to maintain proximity to our parents, physically and emotionally. A parent may be responsive enough, leaving us confident of that connection, and we are then able to start to toddle out into the world more independently. Emotionally, parents may be immature. They could be self-involved, rejecting, narcissistic, or struggle with codependency themselves, all from their own early experiences combined with their biochemistry. They may have been sick or had other life circumstances that were a higher focus when we were infants, toddlers, and children. While various forms of abuse can be more obvious, emotional neglect can be less so. Either way, as children, we learn that in order to maintain proximity to our caregivers, we must be especially tuned into their feelings and their needs as opposed to our own. We don't learn the ability to recognize and communicate our feelings. You might say we actually unlearn this. We can become cut off from our true self or we never had the opportunity to grow a true self to begin with. To decrease our attachment anxiety, we learn to tend to the feelings of others. If they were okay, we were okay. These experiences and these tendencies exist on a very wide spectrum, from mild to severe. Number three, culture. Repeated cultural messages add to and reinforce the idea of what it means to be lovable, especially for women. A study by Stanford University found that the most desirable adjectives to describe women were compassionate, warm, cheerful, soft-spoken, and loyal. The most desirable adjectives for men were independent, assertive, dominant, and decisive. What would it be like to live in a world that wants us to be whole, that wants us to stand on our own two feet while having loving connections with others who can stand on their own two feet? Number four, nature. Not all siblings have the same experience. Parents can react to their children differently. There can be varying circumstances going on during each of the children's early life. But there can also be temperamental differences, which relate to our biochemical differences, and these can impact how early experiences impact development. Some of us are undoubtedly more sensitive and or more reactive, I would suspect that COMT and or MAOA variants may be at play and can contribute to someone being highly observant and sensitive to the feelings of those around them. I also suspect undermethylation is at play. Together, these variants might explain the high sensitivity, the tendency towards depression and anxiety, as well as addictive tendencies. Number five, boundaries. For those of us who fall on the spectrum, it can be difficult to recognize where we end and where someone else begins. We can feel responsible and anxious about other people's feelings, their thoughts, their actions, choices, needs, well-being, lack of well-being, what they had for dinner last night. Number six, communication. Instead of communicating directly from one true self to another true self, We may be indirect, saying what we think others want to hear, and be unable to say no. We may be inappropriately or overly apologetic. For some, this may harken back to the early feeling of being sorry for their own existence, depending on their parents' reaction or lack of reaction to them. We may even manipulate or coerce, because though we don't recognize our feelings, wants, and needs, we do think we know what's best for others. Number seven, behaviors. Dependency, compulsive caregiving, and controlling behaviors are each fitting given the roots of the attachment style that I'm describing. Dependency can look like trying to prove we are enough, looking for happiness outside ourselves, not taking time to see if people are good for us, centering our lives around other people, losing interest in our own lives when we love, letting people hurt us and then hurt us some more, and staying in relationships that don't work. Essentially, settling in an attempt to feel loved. Compulsive caregiving can look like doing things we don't want to do, not being able to say no, overcommitting and doing more than our fair share of the work, neglecting ourselves to take care of others, trying to please others instead of ourselves. Again, this learned dynamic is what we know. And though the people-pleasers among us don't want to think of ourselves as controlling, that is a less obvious but clear trait. As mentioned, we can think we know what is best for others. If we've not met or tended to our own inner wisdom, we can't imagine it in others. Add to this our excellent problem-solving abilities and addictive tendencies, and before you know it, we will be helping, fixing, advising, setting straight, and rescuing those who welcome it or not. Number 8. Emotions. Anxiety can also relate to a sense of low self-worth. We can worry that others don't like us or love us. We can fear rejection. This can contribute to perfectionism. Anxiety is often due to our being hyper-attuned to the feelings of those around us, whose feelings we desperately want to fix. We can't feel okay if they don't feel okay. We can feel shame and discomfort with compliments, praise, or the generosity of others. We don't trust intimacy. Sadness, arguably the most uncomfortable feeling for anyone, is often repressed. Another protective defense mechanism is denial. This is where we can ignore problems and pretend they don't exist. Or we can believe the lies of others. We can also believe the lies we tell ourselves. Remember we are wired for connection, for proximity, in some cases at all costs. Unexpressed feelings... Easily lead to illness and other addictive tendencies, including overeating, which is fairly common. I say other addictions because codependency is considered an addiction for which there are 12 step programs. Even though we may fear anger, others' or our own, we can become angry that others aren't doing what we think they should do or they're not following our advice. We are quick to blame others or ourselves. We live in a world of shoulds. Judgments proceed from others and our own. We can also live in a world of increasing resentment that others aren't doing for us what we do for them. We understandably and unconsciously keep finding ourselves in our earliest attachment dynamic, hoping to finally master it, get what we needed and wanted, to have a better ending. The turning point in our story, however, comes when we realize there is another way. Number nine, education. Because we can be so put together and so gosh darn nice and helpful, our struggles go largely unnoticed. We may see many doctors or even therapists and still not have a name or construct for this part of us that wants and needs to be healed. We can recognize and become educated about this issue through reading, through therapy, and through support groups. There are endless books, but a few that I've liked are The Drama of the Gifted Child, The Narcissistic Family, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, and Codependent No More. And to quote myself, as I was growing some insight into my own issues, quote, you know you're codependent when you read Codependent No More, and all you can think about is who you want to have read it. Number ten. Parenting our inner child. Because many of us have learned our lessons well, it takes time, patience, and self-compassion to unlearn some of those lessons and learn some new ones. We each carry within us that child that we were. But we also carry within us an unconditional, loving, and compassionate parent. Even if we never had that, even if that presence wasn't there like we needed it to be to help us grow, there is one inside us. It's still there. This part of us can be accessed with with education and when needed help from informed therapists or healthy others. With help, our inner parent or inner wisdom or soul can teach us how to hear our inner voice, our body and our feelings. It can teach our inner child how to be independent while staying connected, how to say no and how to set boundaries with those who haven't done their own emotional work. Our inner parent can help us say what we feel and need, and it can teach us how to care for ourselves, which isn't just about providing comfort, but is also about tending to our own responsibilities and not have them become secondary to everyone else's. To quote Jack Kornfeld, if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. So if you are reading this and listening to this on Substack, please share if you have other resources you think could be helpful. And if you're a paid subscriber on Substack, the midweek newsletter will focus on traits and biochemical drivers of emotionally unavailable and self-involved parents, not in any attempt to diagnose, fix, or throw anyone under the bus, but rather to have a better understanding of one's early life experience. If you are interested in getting these newsletters with text and audio directly into your email, please subscribe at Courtney Snyder MD or on Substack, the Holistic Psychiatry newsletter. Until next time, take care.